Section 8 of A Short History of France by Mary Duclos. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Pamela Nagami. Part 2. Chapter 1. The Rise of Feudalism. Part 2. Out of the four elements which we have passed in review, out of the old Celtic foundation, the Roman culture, the Christian church, and the Frankish conquest, at last a new society issued, feudal society. Until the middle of the eighth century, when Charlemagne revived for a moment the empire of the West, there had been no society in Gaul since the fall of the Roman Empire, merely a chaos of ill-assorted atoms. At last these atoms were organized and came to life. But not on the grand scale of which Clovis and Charlemagne had dreamed. However great a man may be, he cannot invent a form of society, at least not one that will long survive the living impression of his will and personality. A form of society must organize itself out of its own elements. And indeed, after the death of Charlemagne, society appeared more than ever to be falling to pieces. The princes again split up their empire to suit their individual tastes. They had never appeared more egotistic, more remote from their subjects. Royalty had never seemed more utterly divorced from power, justice, or assistance. Toward the middle of the ninth century, those dukes and counts who had originally been functionaries of the Roman Empire, who in later days had been the administrators of the barbarian kings, took on a new importance, and in the increasing weakness of any central government, became owners and substantial powers. One after another, they affirmed as their own, and as transmissible by heredity to their children, an authority which they had originally exercised merely as officials and delegates. Each duke and count became a law unto himself, led his subjects into battle, exacted from them their toll of taxes, administered justice, entailed his estates. There was no longer any centre, any whole, any organization in Gaul, only a lively disintegration of parts. The Roman Empire which Charlemagne had vainly attempted to revive was truly dead and buried. But something stirred in the grave. The dust began to heave and breathe. It was a very low form of life, but at least it was life. Life ever renews itself at first in lowly forms. This new attempt at an organism and an order began its long progress toward those heights from which the Roman Empire had fallen in ruin. Let us imagine for a moment the condition of one of those country districts in which some Gallo-Roman count or duke, some Frankish noble or Danish pirate, established himself lord and master. No road is sure. Battle and murder are constant. The king is so remote that few in the countryside even know his name. Then comes our captain, fiercer and stronger than any of his neighbors, showing his teeth like an angry mastiff at any menace of aggression. His wooden fortress stands proudly on its rock, commanding all the country round. Behind his planks and palisades he reigns, he rules, 
far more surely than the king in paris and the farmers unite to proclaim him their chief saying protect me from mine enemies and i will be thy man often this captain is already the chief of a band we know how the frankish nobles lived in troops and companies now that he has established himself on the footing of a petty sovereign he will divide his lands with his companions they will be his vassals we know that vassal is the same word as gazelle comrade the letters g and v being interchangeable they will be his captains and his magistrates and do him homage for their estates be sure he will keep for himself the choicer morsels the slopes that suit the vine the rocks on which a fort may stand the great stretches of forest the ports on sea or lake or river indeed woods and waters belonged by right in feudal law to the lord of the land but yet he will find it to his interest to surround himself with powerful nobles who can aid him in the hour of need they in their turn will divide their territories into smaller fiefs some of them like their own are terre noble entailing only military service some of them are ploughlands or terre roturière that puzzling word in modern french roturier a commoner comes from ruptura the opening of the furrow and these last are paid for in rent and in labour more often in those days of scanty coin in work the peasant holding his plot in exchange for so many days corvee or forced labour on his landlord's grounds or on condition of supplying certain redevances such as wood corn wine poultry butter etc for the lord's consumption this corvee these redevances which were gradually to degenerate into fearful abuses which were indeed largely to provoke the french revolution were at their origin merely commodious forms of rent of the greater part of the tenants on such an estate it may be said that they lived like freemen and they died like slaves there were serfs of course who were really slaves or little better they belonged to their masters body and goods and gear lions des serres says bonmanoir and he lived in the thirteenth century in the time of st louis the lord might beat imprison chastise taunt them at his will it was a mere chance if he was generous but what the serfs complained of most was the uncertainty of their service their innumerable corvee might be exacted of them at any moment but the greater part of the tenants were not strictly speaking serfs they were mamortables holding their little farms in mortmain or as we should say on a life interest and these are the men of whom i have said that they lived like freedmen and died like slaves for save that they might not marry a woman belonging to another estate except at the cost of heavy fine and even then the children were divided between the two landlords their lot was tolerable so long as they lived their lord could ask them nothing beyond their rents and redevances but on their deathbed the scene changes for the essential characteristic of mortmain is that the lord is the heir of his serf the estate has been lent to the serf and can never be alienated 
and if he die he has no heir save only his lord nor shall the child of the serf inherit aught their possession died with them and though as the centuries ran on the right of mortmain was frequently commuted into a heavy death due this strange tenure of property flourished in certain parts of france until the outbreak of the revolution besides the right of mortmain the feudal lord possessed innumerable seigneurial rights the toll on every bridge the tax on every mill on every parish oven the rights of hebergement which meant that your house was your lord's to come and lodge in at his will the right of pourvoirie which signifies that he could requisition your horse and your ass your carriage and your cart at his own sweet will for any expedition of war or peace should a stranger settle on the land for more than a year and a day he lost his liberty became a serf and subject to all these conditions unless indeed the lord had invited him to come to his estate in which case very favourable conditions were granted him and he was said to hold his farm in hostis these hospites were the equivalent of the burghers in the towns above the rank of serf and the condition of mortmain were the vilains or free peasants rare in the early centuries of feudalism but increasing as the relative security which the feudal system brought with it allowed the idea of individual liberty to arise until so early as the age of saint louis the land was chiefly worked by these free farmers they possessed the entire disposal of their goods the right of bequest but for all the rest were subject to the same corvée redevance and services as their neighbours who held their land in mortmain indeed often as the wise beaumanoir observes their condition was harder for the lord naturally favoured and strove to enrich the farmer who was nursing up for him a comfortable heritage the crops and trees that flourished in these rural estates where the peasants dwelt in their chimneyless thatched hovels were far less numerous than those we see to-day neither plain nor elm nor mulberry nor maize nor buckwheat neither hops nor artichokes nor beetroot nor tobacco nor potatoes there were of course apples but the fabrication of cider appears to have been unknown in france before the twelfth century the condition of these labouring people was hard but after all infinitely less hard than it had been before the establishment of feudal law and feudal force had given every hamlet and every hovel sometimes no doubt a tyrant but at least always a protector then as now the saving peasant throve then as now some frugal shepherd would lay by a penny here a farthing there till with his trifling profits he could rent or buy a plot of land a cabin and a barn there were always needy nobles impoverished by warfare or mismanagement glad to sell there were always thrifty farmers able to buy at every point of the history of france men have been able through their effort and their economy to pass from class to class this is what the peasant serfs forgot when they sang as in robert wace's romain de roux why should we let them do us wrong are we not men as they are men 
just the same limbs as theirs i can as big a heart within our breast and just as easily oppressed the people were at last to find an ally against the nobles the king but not until the feudal lords had utterly crushed the feeble descendants of charlemagne these miserable monarchs were but baubles that the turbulent peers of france used to play with till they broke they were of infinitely less consequence than a duke of aquitaine or a count of flanders the race of pepin le bref had come to the throne of france by an act of aggression and a usurper was to snatch its borrowed crown away on the death of louis v in 987 the peers of france assembled at Saint-Lys, preferred to the rightful heir the dead king's brother one of their own order hugh capet duke of france and count of paris hugh capet had no shadow of a legal claim no vestige of feudal right but he was a man of parts brother of the duke of burgundy brother-in-law of the norman duke he came of a line of great captains of whom more than one had seized a crown and he was the first of a great line of monarchs who little by little were to triumph over those unruly feudal tributaries from whom he sprang and who had raised him to the throne over and over again in the history of france we shall find the capetian kings the fosterers of popular liberty there is another sign of the future in that assembly of the peers at Saint-Lys, in which we may read the first stirrings of a new sense that also was to make for the destruction of feudalism the rightful heir charles of lorraine was a vassal of the holy roman empire hugh capet was the duke of france and in preferring a usurper to a foreigner the nobles of france showed that already dimly and uncertainly but yet instinctively they knew themselves the leaders of a nation and descried the rights of a race End of section eight.